This program is intended for mature audiences only. Altitude adjustment may contain language, images, or other content that some may find offensive. Your discretion is advised. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon. It is 2 p.m. Central Time on Saturday, May the 8th. And joining me this afternoon is a special guest, Deborah Driggs. I did say the last name. Hi, right? everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you said it correctly. Yes, Very Deborah good. Driggs. Yeah, I, I, I have uh, forgotten the R on a couple of occasions, so I tried to make sure that I got that in there. So welcome. Uh, <laughs> Joining me this afternoon, I really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, speak with me in the, in the audience. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, I, I looked at your profile and I thought, yeah, definitely an interesting guest. So I'm going to have her come on and talk. So one of the first things, um, one of the things that we talked about prior to starting the podcast is that you're going to be a regular on your own podcast, Correct. Yes, well, it's not my own podcast. One of the one of the podcasts that I guested on, they asked me to be a co-host every Sunday night, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll try it out. I said, let's do it for a couple of weeks and see if we all have, you know, a good synergy because that really, you know, when you've got more than two people and you're co-hosting a show, you've got to make sure it all jives. So they, I'm gonna, my first show will be tomorrow night with them, and it's the Roger the Wild Child show. And it's a fun, they get really fun guests and they banter off of each other. And so I enjoyed being a guest. So I thought, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll co-host with you guys. So that'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Very good. Very good. Um, so, so tell me a little about, tell me a little bit about your, so reinventing yourself is what you want to talk about. And so. Yeah, you know. It's, it's, I think what's interesting is that, you know, I've had this full life. I'm 57 this year, 57 years young. And um, I've had a really full life. And, you know, it started out where I went, I was aspiring to be an actress and I was in the entertainment world for several years. And, and, and then I got married and had kids and it was, you know, there's always ups and downs and things like that. But when I got divorced is when everything really hit the bottom. You know, I found myself at 40 years old, just like no money, no job, no, no vision of what I was going to do and how I was going to raise my kids. And, and so I had to start over and I had to reinvent. And the first, uh, first idea for me was to get into real estate. And the reason was, is we were living in a small, small town in Park City, Utah. And that was the thing to do was to sell real estate. So I got my real estate license and I was smart to know that I wasn't ready to start my own business, but I worked for the best. I sought out three people that were doing really well and I interviewed with them and the team that I chose to work with ended up being uh, the fine team. And just, it, we had such a great energy and team. And I, I told them, I said, look, I've never worked in an office. I know nothing about business really. I, I, grew up in the entertainment business and this will be my first real job, so to speak. And so he said, well, are you good with people? And I said, actually, yeah, I am. I'm really good with people. And he said, I have 30 listings. I have a really hard time keeping up 
with them and calling the client and keeping up with my clients. And he was the kind of guy that wanted to be behind the computer doing the marketing and creating. And so I, that became my role. I started taking care of the clients, managing the listings, sitting the open houses. And, and through that, people would come through the open house and I would become friends with people and they'd say, I want you to list my house. So I'd go back to the office and I'd have like a $2 million listing and I'd go up to the, you know, go to the girls and I'd say, Hey, you know, that scan machine thing with the buttons and the, I got to scan this listing. Could you remind me how to do that? Cause I'm the assistant. Right. And they just would laugh. They're like, you have a $2 million listing and you don't know how to use a scanner. And I said, yeah, that was my life. You know, it was just, that's the way I, I rolled. And so they would just, you know, I was, I became the joke of the office. I was bringing in deals and didn't know how to work the, the scanner machine. And so I learned a lot during that time working for them. And I'm so grateful because he really taught me so much about the office environment, the work environment, how to handle clients, what the marketing meant. And then in 2008, we all know what happened. And my market was the first market to go. Second home, luxury home, multi-million dollar homes nobody was interested in at that point. So I had to start over again. And that was probably the lowest for me because I really didn't have a backup plan. I just thought I found what I, I really found what I loved doing. I didn't, I didn't know anything about the market changing or anything like that. And I was the assistant, so they didn't need me when the market took a dive. And now I no money. My kids had to go live with their dad. And I literally couldn't afford the house I was living in. So I moved to Florida and moved in with my mom at like 40 something years old and didn't want to get out of bed. I was just like, oh my God, you know, how did I end up here? You know, <laughs> I think as we get older, we're not as resilient to these things because we think we're supposed to have it all figured out. And I definitely did not. And so, you know, it took me a while to get back on my feet. And I took a job in New York, of all things, and got into the print procurement business. I got invited to this dinner and I was sitting next to the owner of the company. And he said, what do you do? And I said, well, I was doing real estate and now I'm looking for work. And he said, well, if you sell real estate, you can sell print. And I said, well, I don't know anything about the print business. He said, are you good with people? It's twice. <laughs> I said, actually, I am really good with people. And he said, well, that's, that's my business. It's all about relationships and getting meetings and, and following up. And I said, oh, I can do that. And so he gave me a shot. And he basically said, you know, if you can get 10 meetings set up, I'll put you on a draw. So that was my goal, you know, to get 10 meetings set up. And I did that in like, two or three days, I had 10 meetings set up. And he's like, okay, I'm going to put you on a draw. And I was like, what's a draw? And he said, it's where I pay you. And when you bring a deal in, I subtract it from that deal. I said, I like that. Let's do it. So I was put on a draw. I lived in New York. And all of a sudden, I'm going to meetings with the heads of procurement for a lot of different businesses. And, and that's when I really started to learn about managing my contacts, really being careful how I use my contacts. And now all of a sudden I'm learning that if I refer business, 
I could get a referral fee. So I wasn't doing things for free anymore. Now people were coming to me and saying, hey, Deb, could you get me a meeting with so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, but if it works out, I want a percentage. I don't do anything for free at this point. I'm like starting to wise up with how I looked at things and, and that, you know, I did have a valuable asset, which was my client list and my contacts, my emails, the people that I was in proximity of, that's a value. And, and I was adding value to these different companies. So I made sure to be really careful about that and how I used it. And so, and also asking people, you know, like I, you know, you have, when I was first starting out, I had to call people and say, this is what I'm doing. If you could help me with setting up a meeting. And so because I had this entertainment background, it became very useful in the print procurement business because now I was able to get us into movie studios and, you know, you know, all those standees that you see when you go to see a movie, there'd be a cutout of the movie Mm -hmm. on a big cardboard. So I was trying to get into that business where, you know, I said, you know, we could expand and I could get us in. And so I'm flying back and forth to the West Coast, you know, and so I'm just constantly innovating and trying to come up with ideas because my whole goal was at the time, I just want to get my kids through college. I just want to have enough money to get by. You know, those were my dreams back then. They were so just like real simple. Like, and by the way, that happened. I got my kids through school. I was able to get by. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, And so you got to be careful what you manifest and what you wish for, because those things really happen. And while I was in the procurement business, I called the gentleman that I did my life insurance with when I was married. And I had referred him a lot of business in the past. And I said, hey, if I refer you business now, can I get a referral fee? And he stopped me and he said, Deb, go get your license. And I was like, oh, okay. So on the weekends, I start studying for that license. And in December of 2010, I got my license for life insurance. I became a life agent. I also got licensed to learn life settlements and be a part of that industry. And again, he said, this is all about relationships, Deborah. It's all about people and relationships and building relationships and people don't just buy from you. They got to get to know you. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do really well because this is right up my alley. Again, third time is the charm. Are you good with people? And so that's how I got into the business that I'm in. And, you know, and it's been really just an amazing ride because if somebody would have told me when I was doing all the entertainment world, you know, cover of Playboy and all this stuff, if they would have said, you know, There's going to come a time in your life when you're going to help people with their this part of their portfolio called life insurance. And you're going to be really successful at it. And you're going to do really well. And you're going to have your own business. I would have just been like, what are you talking about? You know, like that just seems like a foreign language. And yeah, so... So reinventing, you know, happened several times. And by the way, it's still happening. It's just now become a part of my DNA. You know, I'm not the person, I'm not the version of myself that I was a year ago. I'm a different version now. And that probably will hopefully be the same thing six months from now, a year from now. You know, hopefully the whole goal is to keep growing 
and learning and and keep advancing your growth in business, health, financial, spiritual relationships, all of it. It's it's not just a one-stop shop. Okay, I got this. I'm good. No, I have I'm continually learning and growing even today. Even you know, my the biggest thing that I think I've learned is that my growth really took place not when I was at the top in success. My growth emotionally and spiritually all took place when I was in the darkest part, when I was in my failures. That's when the growth took place. And so I'm really aware of that today because, you know, every day is a new day and every some days are good and some days are bad. And because now I have all this different experience of reinventing, I feel like when I get into those dark places or I feel like everything's falling apart and I'm failing, I know that, okay, just let it go. Tomorrow's a new day. Start over. And it's really hard to do when you're in it, you know, because you think this is how it's always going to be. But it's not. So that that was one of the things that um, I wanted to ask you about is um, getting hitting that bottom, you know, having reached a, a plateau of success in your life and then having all of that pulled away from you and going down and then hitting that bottom. What was that experience like for you? How, how, what is your mindset? How did you deal with that? It was really, you know, I had no, I didn't have tools. I had some tools that kind of saved my life a little bit because I grew up, I was an athlete when I was growing up, I was a figure skater. And so I had some tools but when I was in it, I just, I was making it worse because I would, I was beating myself up. I was doing that stuff that is kind of typical. Like, how could you be like this in your forties? How could you lose all your money? You're, you're too old to be doing this. You're this, you're that. Look, look at now your kids have to go live with their dad. You're a terrible mother. You're, you know, I was just like beating myself up. And, and, and when you do that, it's like a snowball. And that's what you get, right? When you're putting that out, you just get more of that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, this has to stop because I'm energetically telling the universe and the energy out there that this is what it is. And it's not. It's not that way. It's just what it is right now. It's not who I am. And, and so... so it's not a it's not a it's not a fun place to be sitting in. It's almost like quicksand, you know. It's the only way I can describe it. It's like quicksand. You just feel like you're sinking and you can't get out of it. It's like every time you pull yourself up, you go back down. And and anybody that's lost their business, gone through a divorce, gone through a death, whatever it is, you know, can I think can probably relate to that feeling of it's like it's pulling you down and you feel like you just want to grasp for air and then and then maybe two, three, you know, the further you get away from it and you start looking back, it's almost like your mind has no recollection. You know, it's like, was it that bad? Really? People just look at you like, yeah, you wouldn't get out of bed for two weeks. It was bad. And I'm like, really? Like, I don't remember, you know, and that's always a good thing to think about now 
when I am going into that dark place, like, okay, remember when you went through this before? It's no different. It'll pass. You're having a moment. Sit with it. Maybe today we do nothing. And then maybe tomorrow we do something different. And so I think that's been the most challenging and difficult lesson to learn is to just do nothing when you're in those times of everything is falling apart, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, did you have like, you know, people in your life, had you, had you developed those relationships that, you know, people would call and check on you to, to at least, you, you had somebody that you know cared enough that you were going through um, a situation that helped lift you, or at least give you that positive energy that you have something to fight for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's been, I call them my angels. You know, I have my mentors, I have my coaches, I have my cheerleaders. I think these are, these are the people in your life that you absolutely have to have, you know, and I know who's my cheerleader and who's not. I've, I've gotten to a place now where I can feel that. Like I know if somebody's really on my team or if they're not. And you really need, even in your darkest time, you need those people that are your cheerleaders, right? That, mm -hmm. that root for you when you're having a hard time. Even, not just when you're having a good time and things are all working out. Because we go through the, it's like, it's like a wave, you know, they come in, they're good. They come in, they're bad. And we never know. And so you need the mentor, you need the coach, you need the coach to put, to, to put you in positions that are uncomfortable that you wouldn't put yourself in. You know, that's the coach's job. And then you have mentors that, that in your business that know, hey, Deb, for this business, we're going to do it this way. That's the mentor's job. The coach is putting you in, you know, like an athlete you know, making you do things that are uncomfortable that you wouldn't do for yourself. Then you need your peers and you need friends, you know, and, and you've got to, it's like anything in business, you put these teams together. Why wouldn't you do this in life? And that's when I started doing business, I thought, you know, I have all these people in my business world that have specific roles that really help elevate me. Why wouldn't I have this in my life? Why am I choosing people that aren't really cheering me on? And, you know, and so you start to really figure that out. And then as you kind of get this enlightenment, there's less and less people really involved because you keep it more simple. And I'm one of those people where I, I, I feel energy on a very deep level. And if I feel energy that just doesn't feel right or I listen to my gut, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I just don't need to have that energy in my life. So my guess is, um, having to deal with people, you've learned to read people. I think that's a, an important aspect of anytime you're dealing with the public. Um, how do you feel that your reading people skills are at this point in your life? Cause I want to go back I and would, compare I, that to where you were. Yeah. We, we aren't born learning how to read people. Um, so you, yeah. so when do you think that, so, so the question is, how do you feel that your reading people skills are now? And when did you feel that, that you really started to develop those people reading skills? Well, I started to develop that when I was studying acting because that's what acting is, right? Mm -hmm. You're reacting off of somebody else's behavior. 
acting is reacting. And believe it or not, those tools really served me well going into the business world. I could be in a meeting with four CEOs watching a meeting take place and I knew that the meeting was over at a certain time where the other ones did not know. Like I knew the meeting was over and I just sat and watched everyone's behavior. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? These guys are like really sharp at what they do, but they're not getting the fact that this meeting was over like 10 minutes ago, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think I got really good. I got really good at that. I'm really good at observing the room and I can see, and I, by the way, I've approached many people, you know, to buy life insurance and I think I've gotten really good at, I know right away whether or not they're going to be my client or they're not. And I, you know, so there, there again, when you're in sales, you don't want to waste all this energy on somebody that you know is most likely not going to be your client. And the best thing you could hope for is that they just refer people to you. So, yeah, I think I got really good at that, you know, and I, I know when it's like, if I'm in a sales meeting or I'm trying to talk about something, I can feel pretty quick whether or not I need to say anymore. I usually just say, how do you feel about that? Or, you know, do you have any feedback for me? Sure. sure. And then right in that moment is usually the time where they'll go, no, I got it. I'm all good. And then I know the meeting's over or they'll say, yeah, I do actually have a couple questions. And I'll go, great. Shoot. What are they? You know? And you just say, like, I think the more simple you keep it with people, I think they they appreciate that too. And then when you can give the breaks to let to let them know this is a good time to let me know if we should just stop, stop. You want to move on. Because the worst thing to do is, and I've had this where I'm on the opposite end of the stick. I don't want to be in a meeting where I'm trying to get out of the meeting. And that's not a fun place to be. That's not a fun position to be in. Nobody wants to be in that position, right? Where you want to kindly go, okay, I'm really not that interested, but thanks for your time. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's really important to be able to read, to read all that. So, so one of the things that, um, that I experienced that I, about business, that I wasn't really excited about is, uh, everyone was talking about an elevator pitch. So you need to be able to get into a conversation and in just a minimum number of sentences, um, explain your product or service or goods, and then try to get that person to do some, make some actions. Either they're going to opt in or they're going to opt out. Um, I didn't care for the, the, the whole elevator pitch idea um, because it doesn't, it works to the advantage of the person making the pitch and not to the person that you're pitching to, because you're going to try to leave out a lot of stuff that is maybe going to be important for that person in making a better decision. So what is your take on the elevator pitch idea? Well, I, I, I like it actually. Okay. So I like the elevator pitch. And in, when I lived in New York, the, 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 time that I spent in New York was probably my biggest growth in business because New Yorkers, it's like a whole different planet. They want it now and quick. And so I learned very fast that in New York, you don't waste anybody's time. They just want you to get to the point. And so I remember I was in a really big meeting with the chairman of the board for Revlon. 
And he basically just said, what do you, what do you need? What do you, what do you got? And I said, look, all I want is I want to speak to the head of procurement. I'm in print and packaging. I want an opportunity to lower your costs. If I can do that, can I have this opportunity? Yeah, boom, good, all right. Then he looked at his assistant, said set her up with the head of procurement, done, boom, out. And that's how, you know, and I learned that very quick in New York that they didn't want to hear the details about procurement because they don't have time. Somebody else will do that. I just needed to get in get to the meeting and talk to that guy about it. And even that guy would be like, okay, well get to the, get to the point quickly. You know, New Yorkers move a lot faster. And so I learned that everything was 10 minutes in New York. Okay. 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 Gotcha. Okay. They cut you off. And I also learned in New York that you're never late. You're early in New York and LA. It's a different story. Everybody's stuck in traffic. They're taking their time. They're like 30 minutes fashionably late. That doesn't work in New York. If the meeting's at 10, you're there at 9.45. And the meeting started at 9.45. And that's when I was like, wow, this is, this is, this, that set me up for such success when I got back to LA because I moved at a much faster speed. And I understood that I was never gonna be late. And I was the first one at the meeting and I was the first one to end the meeting, you know, so I, I got that kind of tough business sense when I lived in New York. So I don't know, the elevator pitch is important because there are going to be times in your life when you're going to run into somebody. I think it was invented for the fact that you could be on the elevator with somebody that you didn't really expect that you'd be on the elevator with that you really wanted to meet and you really wanted to sell. And now here you are, you have your opportunity, you have 10 minutes, boom, what do you got? So for me, my elevator elevator pitch, if I was on the elevator with somebody that I really wanted to do business with, I would just say, oh my God, you don't understand. I've, I've been trying to get to you for weeks. I would really love an opportunity to meet with you or your assistant, just give you just a little rundown about what I do. Would, would you be open to that? Boom, you know, just having something in your mind what would I say in the event that I run into somebody? I don't think you need to talk about your business because right away, this person that you ran into, if they like you, if they sense that you're, that you're hungry and you want to do business, they're going to say, sure, here's my number, set it up. So I think you want to have something prepared in the event. And I think that was the, the purpose of the elevator pitch was to be prepared in any situation. So... Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> you forgot what you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, perception is another one of your talents. <laughs> um, Jolly, God, Jolly threw you off guard there. So, so, um, organization, uh, coming from the creative world, my guess is, uh, trying to be an actor there's there's that creative side and i've never tried to be an actor so uh i i don't profess to understand that uh, mindset so so you're gonna i'm gonna be learning from you on this one so you i don't know do you have that um so where you are now is that you're more uh, 
streamlined in how you achieve things. So you you spend as little effort on things that aren't going to get you the results that you need. Um, was that the same in the in the acting world? So when you went into acting, did you have that same? Um, I need to get this done. I'm gonna you know, organize things this way. And I, were you always that organized person or did you develop that skill over the time um, that you've been in business? That's a great question. I, I actually feel that I was born with this DNA of organization. You know, I was making my bed and keeping my room straight from a very young age. I was that child, you know, I was like, everything has to be a certain way for me to function. So yeah, I think, you know, and I was, I was, if I was given direction from an agent or manager, whoever was representing me at the time, I just, I did it quickly, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, can we discuss that? Or, you know, why do you want me to do that? You know, I, I understood that they were leading my career. And if they gave me direction, hey, I think you should do this. Why don't you go shoot with this photographer? Let's update your headshots. Let's do this. I, I can tell you in 1988 or 89, it was 89, I went to go read for a, a starring role on a TV show called Charles in Charge. I went to the Universal lot. I met with Mel, Melvin Harris or Mel, I can't think of it, I just spaced on his name, but he was a casting director for the show. And I walked in, we met, we talked, we gabbed, and then he said, okay, you can, whenever you're ready, do the reading. And I stood up to do the reading and I didn't get three lines in. And he said, stop, sit down. And he said, you know, when you walked in the door, I would have hired you on the spot because you're exactly what I'm looking for. Looks wise, personality wise, but girl, you do not know how to act. You got to go learn how to act, you know, because at this point I was doing a lot of commercials and a lot of catalog work, and a lot of print work, and I'd done some hosting, but I really couldn't take on the role of a starring role on a TV show. And this was to play, I think, Scotty Bale's girlfriend, or I forget what part I was reading for, but I, I, I took him so seriously. So I said, well, could you help me? Could you write down the three places that you would go to or you would send me to? And he did. And I went home and I called those three places and the next, within two weeks, I was enrolled in a two-year Meisner acting program. So yeah, I think I've always had that in me that I didn't wait. I didn't say, okay, let me think about it. Or, you know, okay, all right, maybe I'll do that. You know, let me mull that around. I just, boom, got the, got the direction and did it. And I just think that's, I think you're born with that, you know, you, or it comes out, I don't know. I just, because I've always been one of those people that if something needs to get done, it gets done now. And I move really quick. And I have to remember that too, because a lot of people don't move at my speed. And, you know, I would drive some of the carriers nuts when, uh, you know, I'm waiting to have push a, a contract through and they're not moving at my speed. And I'd have to remember that Deborah, not everybody gets things done on dev time, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, my, I call my time dead time because I do move really fast. And, you know, I think I can, 
I can do a lot in one day where it might take people a couple weeks to do what I can do in one day, you know, mm -hmm. that's, you know, so I think that's part of the success that I've had is that I, I don't procrastinate. Nothing, nothing's growing, you know, it's like, you know, it's getting moved around. I, I fully understand on that one. I, uh, I like to get things done. I don't, I, I, I'm not a procrastinator. I'm no longer a procrastinator. So let me say that. So there was yeah. a, when in business, I would work very hard. Um, so when I, when I clocked in at work, I was all business, get things done. Didn't screw around. But when I got home, I throw it over there on the counter and I, you know, I'll deal with it later. And so it took, it took making the adjustment so that I am always not a procrastinator now. Um, so I've had an actual growth in that area. You know, I wasn't, I, I didn't make my bed. I'll, I'll make it now. But before yeah. I rolled out the covers are back, I'm good. I'll be back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that book. What's that book I'm thinking of where he said, you know, you, you said, I think it's called make your bed and I forget who wrote it, but you know, I, I, I listened to it years ago when it first came out and it's, it's like, that's how you start your day. You make your bed because it's those simple tasks that when you do those, then any, it's like almost like everything else is easy. If you get this and, and you have to recognize when you're doing the simple stuff too, not just big tasks, but all the little, okay, what's the next right step? You know, you get out of bed, you make your bed. Okay. Yay. Congratulations, you made your bed, you know? And I've learned also that, you know, I used to start my day with my emails and that's not a good way to start the day, <laughs> you know? Cause I'd all of a sudden be like, oh my God, this email didn't go out, ah, da, 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 da. And it, you know, between 7.30 and eight o'clock, I'm already having my first meltdown and I thought this isn't good. So now my computer does not open until get out of bed, have hot water with lemon, do a little meditation, maybe go for a walk, work out. Then I open the laptop. Because mm -hmm. now I'm in it. Now I've got my mindset a little bit set. I remind myself how I want my day to go, set the intention, you know, and I've changed the way I do things because I was all hustle and bustle for so long and it, it wears you down. You don't have to work so hard, you just work a little more efficient, you know, because when you're in a good mindset and you have your intentions, you don't need to work so hard. Right. So, 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 so what, the... so what all of a sudden now, because I'm in the, the, you know, oh, I met, I had my meditation. I prayed, I opened my laptop, something went wrong. I'm like, okay, I'll get to that. And I'm a little bit more relaxed. And, um, it, and it's a much better way to do, do that kind of stuff. So a lot of uh, some of the things that helped me make motivational, make changes in my life were these little, you get these little, um, I, I forgot what they're called, but these little sayings like work smarter. Affirmations. Harder. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah, affirmations. Yeah, work, work affirmations. Work smarter, not harder. So then I start looking for, you know, what is the best way to get that done? with the minimum amount of effort and, you know, identify the, the effort needed to, to get it done. Um, how do you, 
as a go-getter, someone that, you know, you, you see something that needs to be done and you just go get it done. How do you work with those people who don't have the same priorities as you, but whose work impacts your work? That's a great question because in the past, I, I was very harsh, you know, like this has to be done now. Now I'm just like, okay, I just let the universe take care of it. I'm, you know, I stay on top of it, you know, but not as harshly, not as, not as harsh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, in the past it was more a rush because I really needed to get stuff done because, you know, I had three kids to feed and, you know, so I was always worried and living in this fearful state of like, oh my God, what if I can't pay rent, you know? And so I've got that voice going and then I've got the voice of, we got to get this done. And so now I just uh, like, no, just everything will work out. So you're late on that or you don't pay that on time today. It's okay. You know, but for somebody like me, who's very organized and very, you know, it's like, oh, it's like to, to let go of the reins. That's been my biggest challenge, really, of, of everything. That's my biggest challenge, just to let go. Let go, surrender, it'll all work out. And I can't control what other people do. They don't work like I work. They're not going to do it how I do it. And that's, and that's okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite as, as forgiving. I, I realize. <laughs> it took I, a lot of years. It didn't happen overnight. <laughs> I realize that I can't make you do what I, what I, what I need you to do in a time frame that I need it done. Um, and so, so one of the things that I developed was a way of trying to communicate to the person the importance of their impact on my productivity if I've asked you to do something and and you see it as your time and not our time. Our time. It like is. Spicoli. Huh? Like Spicoli. Oh. Like Spicoli and Fast Times in Ridgemont High okay. when he shows up late to class. <laughs> you never saw it. I saw it, but I, I don't remember that. Oh, he shows up to class and he orders a pizza and the pizza comes and the whole class, you know, gets delivered during class. And he's like, well, isn't it our time? It's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, but it's so true. It is our time. It is our time. <laughs> and so that's, that's the difficulty. While, while I realize that I can't <laughs> make that person get things done, it is probably one of my biggest frustrations because I like to get things yes. done. If I get it yeah, done and out of the way, I don't have to go back and deal with it. And yeah. usually um, by getting it done quickly, um, I can mitigate any potential problems so that if, uh, if I wait to the last minute and then there's a difficulty, then I'm pushing that the deadline back. So I tend to like to get things done. But like you say, um, there's people don't like to work like I do. They have their own time frame to work with. And so I've had to learn how to, how to uh, incorporate their timeline into my timeline. Yeah. And that's what happens. And, and that's what happens. Because <laughs> you, you can't, you know, 
um, rejection. Yeah. Rejection. My favorite. I love it. Bring it on. <laughs> that, that was a, t that's a tough one for me even today. So, so yeah. how do you deal with it? I mean, you seem like you're a, uh, you seem like you were born a Californian because California. I am. I am. I'm born and raised in California and, you know, I think rejection was a learned for me, you know, in the entertainment world because I got rejected a lot, you know, and I was I was also, you know, because I'm a little, you know, I'm like so outgoing and go getter. I would go up to directors and ask them, hey, could you give me a line in this so I could get my SAG card? You know, like I was always hustling and bustling. They'd go, no, not today. You know, and I'd be like, OK, next. I just go to the next, you know, and I never in that that business really hardened me a little bit to rejection. So in business, it wasn't such a big deal. I was, I, that's why I said no means maybe. I don't take it personally. No means maybe in sales. It's like, you're going to get 10 no's and maybe one yes. And maybe one maybe. Like there's no, everybody, anybody in sales knows that there's so much not today, not today, no, no, no. And we never know what's gonna come back around. So I just wrote that in big letters right off the bat. No means maybe, because I just, you know, the rejection is so crazy in sales. I, I think in business, I handle it really well. I don't know in my personal life that it's fun, you know, when you get rejected and personally, it's not, that's not a fun situation. But again, you know, it's it's learning to just keep on your side, and you know, it, it it's not meant to be with with the other situation, whatever it may be, with a friend, a sibling, a daughter, whatever's going on in that moment. It's like just you know, rejection is going to happen, so you can't avoid it. You know, it's part of life. So you are currently selling life insurance. Yes. Um, so what is your next big project? Because you seem to be, um, you know, one big project after another. You're an achiever. Yeah, I during the pandemic, I had to really go deep because my industry took a huge hit. As you can imagine, the insurance companies got very scared with insuring people 60 and over because it was being told all over the news that this was affecting older people. This this pandemic. And so we took a big hit. And so during that time, I decided to write a book basically about how did a Playboy cover girl go from doing that to total extreme of being in the top 5% in sales. I was the number one life agent in 11, 12, and 13. Those were my really big years for life insurance. And so I thought, you know, that's such a and when people find out today, they're always like, wait, were you in Playboy? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And they find that very hard to believe, especially if we've done some type of business together. Because they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. So, and then, you know, and then the other reason that I wrote the book is because I come across as somebody who always has it together. I don't always have it together. And I do really struggle at times with isolating and anxiety and not being able to sleep. And, you know, these are little things that I struggle with. I say little things because I try to keep them little today. But I really did struggle with those things. And so 
if I say to somebody, no, I'm kind of going through a really funky time right now. They're like, you, you always seem like you have it so together. And then I really thought, okay, I'm writing this book because if that's how people perceive me, then it'd be really good for them to know that I do have at times these issues that I struggle with and the things that I do to keep them at bay. And it's a, every day, it's a one day at a time, you know, gig. It's not, it's not, you know, you don't go take a class and go, oh, I can sleep now. Or you don't go take a class and go, oh, my anxiety has gone. It pops back up. And, you know, I had, a, I had a pretty rough childhood, so to speak. It's not, it doesn't make, it doesn't, I'm not using that as like, hey, that's the crutch, right? Mm -hmm. but, but those things are in me, those abandonment issues, those fears, the lack of security, the the non, the no boundaries, the, the parents not knowing what to do. And those things are just kind of in me and they pop up every once in a while, especially when things are going wrong. All of a sudden that's where my body goes, oh, hey, we know how to deal with that. Let's go to that really bad idea. <laughs> and so it's an, it's, an, it's an everyday job to work on these things that pop up. And, and as I said, it's like, you know, it's not a one-stop shop to go and, and, go, oh, I took this seminar or I took this class and now, yay, I'm perfect. And it's not, it doesn't work that way. And so that's really the message in my book is that there are things that I do every day and some days I do them better than others. Other days I don't want to do them. Other days I'm like, what's the point? You know, but if you just, like, it's like anything in life, one foot in front of the other. You know, you don't have to run the marathon. So, um, you mentioned your, your past as a, a Playboy uh, cover. Um, were there, how does that, how did that impact your future? So, I, I've, I've heard stories, you know, where it has been a negative experience. Uh, it denied some women opportunities that that they wanted to grow and it has hindered growth in some areas. Uh, it doesn't seem to have hindered growth in your area. Um, no. But how, no, how you, you know, I think I think it's a really good example of any story you tell yourself. You know, I could have had a lot of things hinder my future, not just Playboy. I could have had the fact that I barely graduated high school. I could have had the fact that my dad was never around. I haven't seen him since I was 18. I could have had the fact that, you know, um, I don't know, that I got divorced. I could have had the fact, you know, there's all these things that can be excuses of why you don't become successful. So, Playboy would be really the smallest of those things, really. I mean, it's something, I did it. It, it. it, You know, it's the story that I tell myself about it. My story goes like this. I graced the covers of Playboy magazine. I had the opportunity to be in the number one magazine in the world at the time. I had the opportunity and so grateful that I got to meet Hugh Hefner and spend time with a man who had this vision and his vision was pretty remarkable and he paved the way for so many people. I had the opportunity to travel and do Playmate promotions all over the world 
I still to this day receive fan mail from people that say that that magazine, you know, was one of their favorite magazines. It still is today. That's the story I tell myself. I, you know, if I sat and said, I can't believe I posed nude in a magazine. Why did I do that when I was 25 years old? Oh my God. You know, it's like, that's not going to serve me. Right. Now, when I posed for the magazine, I was 25 years old. There was no internet. I back then had a car phone. We didn't know that there, you know, who knew that there would be a time in my life where the whole world could Google me and see my playmate issue. Who knew? I didn't know that. Would I change anything knowing that? No, I wouldn't. So, you know, I think, I think the choice was made for a reason and I leave it at that, you know, there's nothing to change. You know, it's, it was, I had a great experience with it. I know maybe I've no, I, I actually really haven't met any girls that have ever said anything bad about Playboy. I just actually saw a bunch of girls. We had a zoom meeting because of, uh, because of the internet and the way things are progressing. We had a, we had a meeting. There was about 12 of us on the call. We hadn't seen each other in years and we were all on the call and it was like, Oh my God, you know, like we were seeing each other for the first time again, you know, in 10 years. And, not one person said, can you believe Playboy? You know, it was all positive, you know, and, mm -hmm. and everybody's lives has, have gone on in, in different directions. I think when you do anything in life, whether it's Playboy, whether it's actress, whether it's business, you know, whatever you do in life, you're bringing to the table your set of skills, your, your special, unique stuff. And so whatever that is, is what's going to carry you through. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, that's why I said, I think it's interesting. I think it's, it makes for a good story. It makes for a good read for people who are curious, like how did that affect your life? And, and I will say this, that in 1989, it was a different world. And there were a lot of advertisers and a lot of people that looked very down on Playboy and posing nude. That is a very different situation today. But back then it was something that I had to take into consideration because I was doing the girl next door catalogs. I was doing that when you opened the Sunday paper and you saw the department store catalog people. I was one of those people, you know, I was, I was doing catalog work and, and um, a few of the companies that I worked for didn't, didn't want to hire me anymore and that's okay. Everybody's, oh, you know, I'm accepting to those choices. That's okay. It wasn't for everybody back then. Today, we live in a different world. I mean, you can see way more on social media. Yeah. You, than you ever can, before. You can see more in the Sunday paper. Totally. <laughs> yeah. All you do is go online. You can Google anything. You can see anything. It's all oh, available. Absolutely. It's all available. So, so, so talk about your adaptation of social media into the the world that is Deborah. Well, I do social media. I don't do it well. I'm learning. I'm I'm a little old school when it comes to social media. I'm, I I actually just took a class. If you can believe this, I took a class on how to use Instagram because I only know how to do a few things. But there's a whole world on Instagram of how to market yourself and 
and do stuff. So I took a class because I don't know, you know, it's not, I didn't grow up with social media. These kids today, I mean, they can put together a movie, you know, in a, in a day, they can make a whole movie. They can do these TikToks that are unbelievable. I watch them and I'm so impressed. That's just not my world. So I don't know how to use TikTok or Instagram. I, I know how to post photos and do the basics, but I don't, you know, and I really need to learn because with the book and the website and everything, I guess it all goes together and it's everybody asks, well, how many followers do you have? And I'm like, I think I have a few, you know, I don't know. So it's, it is a different world that we live in. And now, as we see, you don't have to go to acting school. You don't have to be an aspiring actress. You can be a celebrity on social media. It's all, I mean, the opportunities are endless, right? They're right. endless today. You can do anything. You basically, you can, if you have great marketing and promotion and you have great, you have a great team of people, you can be and do anything. The opportunities are endless. The abundance is endless. It's what a great world we live in. It's so cool. Yeah. You're, you're only limited by your own ideas. You're only limited totally. by yourself. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Because I, I, you know, this doing this podcast is so I, I, I was in uh, technology for 30 years. This is what I've done. Uh, I've done video editing. I've done, you know, graphics design, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, the ability to just have a camera and start a podcast was like insane to me. Um, yeah. And, and everybody. And any. Buddy can do it. Do you know, I put out a message, got beginning of March, and I said, hey, I'll be a guest on your podcast. I didn't even know. I knew nothing about the podcast world, and I have done two to three podcasts a day. I got bombarded. People are like, yeah, I want you on my show. And I thought, well, how cool is that? How lucky am I that people are still interested in my story? But then I was like, oh, my God, there are thousands of podcasts. I had no idea. I had no idea the world of podcasting and it's, it's completely cool. You know, that I I've been talking like this with people from all over the world. I did a podcast with a guy from Germany that had a whole finance show. And I was like, okay, it's super cool. I don't have to leave my house ever again. <laughs> well, that's going to, that's going to change. <laughs> so <laughs> when the, when the uh, pandemic drops and, uh, a lot of people are going to want to have their guests in studio. So my, yes. my goal is to eventually have, uh, so of course, all my guests won't be able to be in studio, but uh, a lot of the local guests I'll try to have in studio. Yes. Uh, because that, that kind of being able to look someone in the eye and talk to them is a little bit better than, than you know, looking at, not that, that uh, I don't absolutely enjoy uh, looking at your camera, but having you in studio would be a, a truly awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. I totally get that. It's it is definitely there's something to say about when you can really talk, you know, in yeah. person with somebody. It's a much different experience. I've done one in studio here in California since I started, and and it was totally different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're so lucky though that we get we get to do this. We get to be online and. Well, yeah, I've gotten a chance to, you know, uh, to meet you and talk to you. Um, hopefully, you, you know, you can keep my, my contact information. I can keep your contact information in my role. Absolutely. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, there's maybe. a word from that. That's the only you and I know that word. Rolodex. Rolodex. 
<laughs> All the young young people listening are going, Rolodex, what's a Rolodex? Oh, you know, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. By the way, it's like that's one of those words that's like, is. what? What is that? What is a Rolodex? Right. You know? That 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 was just the way of doing business. It was yeah. Oh God, I had one. I know. You flipped through that thing, you just twirled. <laughs> D. Okay, got all my D's. Yep, I know. So so I'm gonna I I, I don't wanna end on a bad note. <laughs> we've had such a great time talking. Yeah. But but some of the things that you you had mentioned to me, uh we talked at the you know before the show started and you were talked about how the struggles that are happening in your area in California um and and I don't know yeah I we definitely know don't want to end on that note okay very good <laughs> then we will definitely skip yeah, that that is that is really oh god it's so sad what's going on here yeah yeah, I, I, it's I'm the gonna... first time in my life and I'm born and raised in California it's the first time in my life that I thought I don't want to live here anymore. You know, it's, it's gotten that bad. So yeah, we don't want to end on that note, but you know what? Like I said earlier, that's just today. It could change. That is correct. I am. I would hopefully that you, when you, when you write your book that you let me know, I'd love to read it. Yes, absolutely. I will absolutely let you know. And be happy for you to have a copy and, and happy to uh, come back and share about it. It's it should be it should be out by the end of the year. Oh, that would that's be my great. goal. That would be yeah. great. I have I have uh, so since I've started doing the podcast, I'm reading books more often, of uh, especially of guests that have come on, and uh, I've gotten back into um, reading novels. Um, one of the problems, one of the things was, is I, I always felt my life was too busy. I had things to do that, uh, but now I'm back into reading novels. So I would love to, um, to get into that and, and, and get deeper into your story. I'm going to give you the opportunity, Wonderful. give you the opportunity to say the last words, and then we're going to get out of here because I know you've got. Oh, things thank that you. Do. I love getting the last words. See, you know that about women. We want the last <laughs> word. Oh my gosh. Well, I would just say that if you want to follow my journey, you can follow me on social media at Deborah Driggs. My website is linked to my Instagram account. I did know how to do that. And it's just been an absolute pleasure to be here and share with you. And thank you for the opportunity to share my story today with everybody. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Uh, we will be back. I'll be back next week. Uh, today, uh, Warren was not able to make it. He had a medical issue. Leonard is still recovering from his issue. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for joining me. Um, we did get a couple of comments. Uh, someone said that they absolutely loved your story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All righty. Goodbye. That concludes this episode of Altitude Adjustment. And thank you for listening. This podcast is streamed live thank on YouTube you. and twitch.tv. And it's designed for Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Lions Den STL Wixsite.com forward slash home to join the discussion. The audio version of the adjustment is available where you get your podcasts, including Citrix, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, which name a few. Remember that the internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. So please like, share,
and coming for this and other episodes of How to Do Adjustment because it matters. And as always, look out for the other guy because it may not be looking.